0: Vodka. vodka 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 o'clock. Hey everyone, it's Amber Love and you're listening to Vodka O'Clock. And don't forget that you can sponsor the show and AmberUnmasked.com very simply. Just go to patreon.com slash Amber and you can choose your per month donation and pledge and backers get a first peek at things and there's rewards. So go check that out. Um, last year's rewards included, um, you know, copies of my first book. So that is available if you have not purchased it already. It's called Cardiac Arrest, um, and the information's on my site or it's available at Amazon. Super easy. Um, so this is a long time coming. Uh, my mm-hmm. guest today, Javier Cruz Winnick. We have been talking forever, for years and years and years. So, uh, between my computer problems and everything else, we finally worked out a Skype, and he's one of the first people that I have ever known in comics. So we are going to talk with Javier now about his new children's book, A Reason to Smile. Has
1: it really been that long?
0: It's been forever. My goodness. I mean, I think you were honestly one of the first people I met, which dates me, you know, all the way back to like. I probably, because you came to New Jersey, so yeah. it was probably around, like, 2006 or seven.
1: Uh No, it was a little later than that, because I started, yep. I started uh, so I know I hit the convention scene in 2008 with Big Apple Con, Right. and then I think you might have went out there, because I know that I seen I've seen you there, I've seen you at the... There's a Brooklyn show that does like graphic novels like underground and non-mainstream graphic novels. I saw you out there a couple of times.
0: Yeah. You came out to the comic shop, too. You've been to a couple of comic that's shops That's actually here. where it
1: was. It was Comic Fusion. Yeah. That's when it was. And it was, and that was probably 2006, like you said. That was where yeah. it was.
0: Early days. I, f- so, I forget that that's Jersey. <laughs> it is Jersey. I know, right? So pretty out there. Um, So how has your art developed in those years because like one year can make a huge difference if you you know when you go back to like art school days when you see the first year students to the second year (laughs) students they usually burn out and then they then they kind of get their groove back in third year okay so so like you know since 2006 you've had a a nice 10 year growth period here what's your what has has it been like for you
1: so when we met and I ended up going to the, to the Comic Fusion, I was, it was the Wonder Woman day. Um, yeah. And I was still trying to figure out, you know, what it was that I needed to do as an artist. And I wanted, to, I wanted to get into comics and I had gone to SCAD and I have my degree in studio art. But I wasn't where I needed to be as an artist. So at that time, I, I, I knew that I was struggling drawing women. So I, I saw one of those an artist that I was following that was doing a Wolverine Wednesday.
0: So I decided to
1: try to follow suit and try to do a Wonder Woman Wednesday. And then I got onto DeviantArt and I started following some of the artists there, studying what they were doing, trying to get tips from them on what to do and how I could grow and um, then I then I hit the convention scene. And that's when I started going even more in depth with what i needed to do to become a better artist and you know for a while there was still a lot of fan art and, and things along those lines to so just practice and enjoy the craft and then i want to say 2012 um joe prado um i used to love looking at his sketchbooks and um uh, try to talk to him on on deviant art and stuff like that and um there was one show where he passed by my table and he said, stop doing this and write a story already. Do a story. And for a pro to tell me that made me feel like I was doing something right, but at the same time, I needed to go beyond where I was at. So I started trying to figure out what it was that I needed to do to create my own story. And that's where a reason to smile comes in. Um, You know, and I I figured that I have a story that I could tell. I used to do, um, I used to do hip hop songs back when I was younger, and I used to do a lot of poetry. So I've had, I have a little bit of experience telling stories. So I decided, I'm Puerto Rican. I am an artist. I have all these things that I can talk about and I can bring to the world. So let me go ahead and bring my own story. And working with the kids that I worked at in the school that I was at at the time. Hi. Help to kind of bring that to fruition and, and nurture that direction for me.
0: That's awesome um, that you you know that you have hand experience working with kids in order to help create uh, your character Louisa and stuff. I wasn't sure if she was a niece or if she, you know who she was based on. Um, she's a really cool girl. So I want to go over some of the themes that come up in A Reason to Smile. And, you know, if you can't tell that by the title, um, it's a very, uh, you know, for a children's book, its it's got the appropriate language for kids without being dumbed down. Mm-hmm. So that um, there are some real emotions in here. And Louise is this very positive, upbeat New York City girl, mm-hmm. And, you know, so throughout her day, she, um, you know, sees thousands of people walking past her and walking on the sidewalk and in the park and everything like that. And so some of the themes that you have in there are about finding joy in something every day and trying new things, and overcoming fear. Um, And it's incredible how she does this. Like um, uh, there was a couple pages where, You know, you have this little 10 year old and she sees these adults who have these, you know, expressions bearing all of their pain and their big burdens. So without the very obnoxious thing that a lot of people face today where they're just like, smile, smile. It wasn't that at all. You know, she's like, you know, she's like. Hey, how are you? How can I help you and yeah. it, and she, you do it without you know without her saying that, but you see the in the artwork that she's interacting with people and you know giving one guy a sandwich and stuff like that um, so that's what i what I really loved was that you you basically have her say that it's okay to have emotions, mm-hmm. even if you know if one person's feeling great, someone else might not be feeling great right
1: that was one of the things that I ended up seeing a lot with the kids that I worked with was they would be exposed to whatever emotions or whatever situations that they were going through and they would always take it so hard and it would always be something that was very much a uh, a, an ordeal for them and I wanted them to understand I wanted kids to know that they had that it was okay to be in that space because a lot of times even adults we have we go through whatever we go through and people start to take that that situation as a weakness or as a fault, and we're all human. we all go through things. so i wanted people I wanted to give something to people that made them more confident in the fact that what they're going through is okay, and it's gonna continue, whether you know you can completely solve the issue or whether the issue will never go away. What do you do when that happens? How do you handle it? Can you handle it? And I, I want people to feel like they can handle it, and that there is a way to deal with it.
0: Do you watch Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt?
1: I actually started watching that. It's a very fun show.
0: It is very fun. Well, I don't want to spoil too much. In the second season, though, the um, the one woman, Jackie, uh, she has a, a son that you you find out, you know, early on that. uh, Is
1: she the the old boss?
0: Yeah, so she's the blonde, the very rich blonde
1: woman. Yeah, from Saturday Night Live.
0: And, uh, yeah, so she has a son that, (laughs) once she can't afford a nanny anymore, she doesn't know what to do with the kid. Uh And there's an episode about basically, like, medicating kids into compliance, Uh you know, that, like, nobody knows what to do with kids anymore and nobody knows how to handle children's emotions anymore or, you know, what to do with them and how to spend their time and stuff. So it's just this real satire episode about medicating kids. Um, And, you know, so one of the things that, like your experience working with kids and stuff is it, like I said, Louisa herself is a happy person, but she's obviously very familiar with seeing emotions. Mm -hmm. So
1: um,
0: I think a lot of times what happens is, grown ups forget that kids have emotions too. <laughs> yeah
1: right it's like yeah, like one one of the things that I learned from a friend of mine uh, while working with kids i I first started off with the after school program which allowed me to, to teach every age group and then I started working as a teacher assistant which kind of um, kind of narrowed that margin down to third to fifth graders but when I was working with the kindergartners, I was treating them like they were the older kids and because of my friend's help, I came to realize, you know, these kids have only been around for five years of of their life on this earth, compared to our 20, 30 years that we've all lived on this earth and experienced things. But they're just small people. They're just small humans. And they're learning, and they're growing, and they they want to be a part of this world that they're in. And it's our job to nurture that. It's our job to, to bring those things up. So when people started to have those like I saw someone at the doctor's appointment today this little girl is very active very happy even though she has this thing in her throat and you know she's breathing real, real differently than we all breathe um, but she's you know, moving around in the chair she's looking at the the um, the tablet she has in her hand and then the mother looks at her and says stop that what's wrong with you and I wanted to say to her, she's a kid. She wants to play. She doesn't want to sit around anymore. She doesn't understand what it is to just have to wait. You have to teach. Right. You know, and The parents forget that they need to have the patience with these kids because they don't know. They don't understand. You can tell them 20 times, and they're still going to forget. They're still going to have to go through the experience. Because some people, they'll get it right right after their experience with it, and they'll understand it. And some people, they have to go through what They have to set a rhythm. I'm I'm myself that way. I need a rhythm. I need to have experience with something, and then I come to understand it. But I can't. You tell me right off the bat, and you know, as an intelligent person, I'll get it. But to truly understand it and really be immersed in it, I need that time. So I can only imagine what a kid is like in that same kind of mindset that doesn't have the skills and life experience to know how to deal with that. What happens to them then? They get yelled at. What's wrong with you? They get talked to, talk to in that kind of way, and it's kind of sad because parents don't even understand that they don't know. And well, I
0: think it's interesting when I see teachers talk about how you know how there are different styles of learning. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, like some people are very technical and hands-on, and um, you know, and other kids are fine sitting at a desk and having a book. And uh, you know, we know that this exists. And yet the teaching styles don't necessarily ever vary. And it's not, you know, there's only so much you can do, if, especially if you're a traditional teacher that's in a public school where you've got 30 kids to a classroom and it's like, you know, you can't cater all the time. Right. So it's like, to me, it's more of a system thing. Like the system should be taking care of this and, and understanding that people learn differently. And it's like completely ignored then. Once you're an adult and you need to like have your own adult life Mm -hmm. you know it's like okay now you need to go in an office and conform whether you like it or not yep yep.
1: (laughs) the good thing is that i've noticed while i was at the school that i was working at that they are trying to change things um especially with what happened with no child left behind it it was such a fight against it that people were like okay if we have to do this system we have to find another way to be able to still teach kids in a way that's going to affect them and not make it just about the testing system and what ended up happening is, I've I noticed that uh, the Teachers College in Columbia, they do um, like these uh, training sessions and um, courses where the teachers will go in and they'll, they'll come back with knowledge that, that they can bring to the kids. And they are kind of working around the system. That They're finding a way to still teach the kids what is necessary according to the curriculum but at the same time still try to teach them life and how to interact with each other and how to um, expect what's going to come in the future. Um, so I, I believe that that's going to be, well, like with the next generation of kids, I want to say in the next 10 years we'll probably see a huge difference in how our college graduates and our, our future leaders are going to be doing things compared to what the kids that are out there now are doing.
0: Yeah, I know in New York it's uh because the teachers union is so big there and um obviously because it's New York I hear about it more on the news than any other kind of district. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um so I know that there's always issues with uh it seems like fights between the the government and like you know the what, whatever the mayor wants to support. Yeah. Now we have to de Blasio is a very different mayor than they have have had before. Um you know and but I I see parents posting their kids' homework. Oh yeah. And I can't even figure this stuff out. I'm like, what is this? What like you know, and this is like second grade homework I'm yeah. talking, you know, like their ideas of how to teach addition. Yeah. Like, I well, I don't even understand this stuff. <laughs> you know? Yeah, you I dropped an out an, of calculus and I don't get it. If you
1: as an adult don't get it, imagine these kids that are you know, these kids, their parents that are that are not even as educated and then the, the kids of immigrant parents, you know, yeah. that are not having to deal with but this.
0: there's a barrier.
1: Yep. So I, I, one thing that I wish would happen is, and I don't know how successful this would be, but I would love to see a, maybe like a class, like, uh, yeah, a class for parents. So that the parents can, I would love that. So the parents can come in, and if they want to learn what their kids are learning, that they can ha- take a half hour out of the day or an hour out of the day you know to be able to come in, they can schedule time so if you know they have you know because you know how it is with, with jobs and parents you know everybody out of the house until you know six o'clock at night sometimes, um,
0: but to have it
1: available for parents to then learn with their kids, because I think that would help to make things a lot easier on everybody.
0: It would because, you know, they, they bring the homework home and they need to be able to do it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, you know, you need to be able to ask somebody a question,
1: yeah,
0: right. you know, and that one of the other themes that, you know, that I talked about in a reason to smile is, um, you know, there's a theme of overcoming fear, mm-hmm. you know, like Louisa seems pretty fearless for a 10 year old and maybe that's just part of growing up in a city. Like sure. she's. Out in the park by herself, and nowadays I've heard that parents can be arrested if they let their kid go play by themselves. Are you oh yeah, oh
1: yeah. My God.
0: We used to be able to like walk home from school and stuff.
1: Yeah. And now I did everything apparently, by myself. Like,
0: yeah. Now apparently, like if your kid is two blocks away in a park, you can be arrested. So I, it's just, <sighs> you know, whatever. So it's just like stupid laws and stuff. Right. But but you know, like she, you know, she's a ten-year-old and she doesn't have any fear of you know, walking to the park and sitting on a bench by herself and feeding the pigeons. And, uh, you know, and then she talks to strangers in a way, <laughs> like, feels safe enough to talk to strange, certain strangers. Um, you know, but in a way where she's asking them, what do they need? Which I think is, you know, incredibly impressive. And uh, I, you know, whenever I see a kid do something so mature, which I've, I've seen in real life, I've seen them do this. I'm like, you know, like they'll go up and they'll just like, you know, put their arm around somebody. I'm mm-hmm. like, where the heck, you know, who taught them this? Yeah. This is amazing. Yeah. So, you know, like, how do you, how do you help kids not be afraid of the world, of their world? I mean, it's a scary place.
1: Well, I think part of that is having confidence in, in that same idea yourself. Because there's a lot of parents that are out there that are very fearful of what they're seeing in the world. And they hold their kids, you know, what do they call them, the, the uh, helicopter parents? Right. You know, yeah. They
0: hover around. Yeah, they
1: hover around. They don't want their kid to to scrape their knee. They don't want their kid to go through any kind of pain or suffering. And that never it does it does nothing for the kid. You know, all it all it does is is a, it's a momentary, um, it's a moment. It's like a few years that these kids are going to be able to be safe, and then they got to be on their own. And then what? Mom's not around anymore. You don't have anyone to to hold your hand. You don't have anyone to protect you. So then what? Um. So I feel like it starts with the parents. You know, your child is a reflection of you. So if if your child is acting up in the street and you know cursing up a storm, what's your language like at home? What is their what is the child experiencing when they're with the babysitter? What what's going on at school? You know, you have to be active with your kid. You know, my, like I had a teacher that was really mean to me as a kid, and my mother would come into school and say, "Hey, this teacher kicked my kid's foot." when she went down the aisle between the kids because his foot was sticking out in the, in the aisle instead of telling him to move his foot or that he should not have his foot that way because it's an inconvenience to people in the aisle. She ended up kicking his foot. Why are you letting this woman teach my child? So she, like, there were a couple of instances like this and my mother would come to school. So they ended up switching me into another classroom um, and then tried to put me, I don't know if you remember back in the day they had the SP classes. Do you remember those? So I was was an SP, and part of that was because my father was in the military. So, you know, the military teaching is much different than than the schools schools in the city. So I was always in the advanced classes, and then she was the advanced teacher for fifth grade. So they put me in the regular class to finish out the year, and then they wanted to put me in the regular class for sixth grade. And my mother was like, no, just because you switched my son's class doesn't mean my son is not capable of doing the work in the advanced class. He needs to be in the advanced class. So they put me in the advanced class. And I was in sixth grade, and I was successful. I got good grades. And who I was didn't change. But because my mother was active, and my mother made sure that nobody was going to mess with her son, I was confident enough to do what I was able to do in sixth grade. So, you know, this, this is, goes back to reinforce what I was saying before about, you know, you're, you're, the, the kid is a reflection of the parent. So, if you have these kids that are you know, having parents that are fearless and that are loving and that show their fellow man respect and love, the kid is going to see that, and they're going to want to do the same.
0: So when it comes to creating the Louisa character, um, how did you decide what strengths she would have? Um, and let's talk about you know what weaknesses she might have because she came across so incredibly independent and strong that I didn't even notice anything that could be considered her weakness, except, Hey, maybe she's too trusting. Like, you know, I'd be, if I was her parent, I'd be probably flipping out. (laughs) Um, But that's because I don't live in New York city.
1: (laughs) Right, right. Your experience is is different from the the experience that her parents will will end up having.
0: Sure. Sure. So, you know, so how did you define her character traits?
1: Well, one of the things that I I wanted to, to bring into her character was some of my own experiences Um, like I said before, my father was in the military, so we lived on military bases in different countries, and I experienced being on my own, um, a lot. Even from, like, five years old on, I remember, you know, having, finally learning how to ride a bike and, um, playing tag with a bunch of friends, with our bikes, like we had to tag each other from our bikes, and I ended up, you know, turning too hard, and I I fell into a... um, a car with a metal bumper, and it, it cut my leg. My friends ran and got my parents, and I, got, I went to the hospital, right? But at five years old, I was out there with all these kids by myself. There was other times that even without my friends, I was able to ride from one end of the, the housing uh, development that we lived in to the other side, which was at least two miles. And I would be able to do all that all by myself. And it was okay because we lived on a military base. Anything that would happen, everybody knew each other. So people would talk. People would take care of each other. So I had, from an early age, I remember being able to do anything I wanted to. Um, So I wanted to be able to bring that to Louisa and figure out, okay, how does this kid get to be the person she is? She has to have confidence. She has to have an inner strength. She has to have the ability to be able to conversate and all these other things. And part of that came from also the kids that I was teaching. Um, there's a there's a bunch of mixtures from each each kid that I interacted with um, that I put into Louisa because I felt like they had to have a role model that they could look up to, but at the same time look at and say, hey, I could be like her as well. I'm not too far from that. Um, so bring in some of my own characteristics and my experiences along with some of the, uh, children that I would teach and interact with as well as family members and stuff like that. I try to bring all of that together to help make this person that we see in the story.
0: So do you think that she has any weaknesses? Oh, she definitely
1: has weaknesses and I'm going to be delving into that in, in the second volume. And it's funny okay. because I didn't even think to put the, the these elements in the story as weaknesses. I just wanted to put them in the story because I knew that she needed to be. She needed to have a, a situation in the story that would show why she's able to be so trusted. Because as a ten-year-old kid, you, you know, you would think you know some kids have developed faster than others. Some ten-year-olds are very childlike, and some ten-year-olds are, you know, cooking and cleaning in their house.
0: Right. Absolutely. So,
1: you know, you you have to. You have to be able to believe that this character is able to do what she's able to do. Um, so, in the second volume, I had, there was a kid at one of my readings, which was very funny. She was like, why is Louisa why walking around New York City by herself? And I had forgotten that the kids that were at the school always get picked up by their parents. They're always bused home. Very right. few of them go home on their own. And then I remembered most of the kids that go home on their own, they live in the projects or... Um, their parents just work, you know, too many jobs and they, they can't do after school, so they go home, or they have brothers and sisters that they have to take care of, so like there's a bunch of fifth graders that would go to the middle school that was that was um, in partnership with the elementary school, and they would go meet up with their older sibling, or they would go and they would just walk home with their younger sibling that was maybe a first grader, and. So that, that's what the modern child's experience is. But I wanted, to, I wanted to bring back the confidence. I wanted to bring back the... For, for parents and for kids. Because a lot of times parents are worried that there's going to be someone that's going to kidnap their kid. Or that they're going to put their kid into a situation that the kid can't handle. And oftentimes that's the case. But I also believe that depending on where you are with your child, they'll be able to do X, Y, and Z. It's up to, it's up to the, the, the development of the child and the relationship with the parent.
0: Okay, so we definitely have more to see then in volume two yes. coming up. Um, so with Louisa being from New York, one of the things that I was wondering was not only would there be a volume two, but um, you know, are we going to see her take any of her adventures in some place that – is unfamiliar, like, to a farm or someplace that's, you know, not the safety of her city.
1: Right. That's an interesting idea. Um, I've also, I've kind of thought about that in the sense that I might not be living in New York all my life. Um, You know, I, I have a wife now, and we've been talking about family, and we've been talking about whether we want to raise our children in New York and where we would want to live. And one of the things that I've been taking advantage of is the fact that I do live in New York and that since the story is based out of the city, um, I, I go on site and I actually go to different locations and take pictures and use them as reference. So most, I want to say 90%, if not, if not all of it, is what you see in the book is an actual place in New York. Um, in Volume 2, you see it to an even greater degree because my level, my skill level has gotten Um, higher, so I'm able to draw more details and get more accuracy with what you're going to see. So I I thought about how I would handle if she's going to stay in New York or whether she's going to go out of New York for the future volumes, and um, I'm also trying to figure out whether I want to bring some sci-fi and fantasy elements, because this is a very real-world story with a lot of imagination involved as well. And one of the cartoons that I loved since I was a kid, you know, one of my favorite cartoons as a kid was The Muppet Babies. And do you remember The Muppet Babies?
0: I do, I do. Where they would get into like a cardboard box and it was their spaceship, yes. you know, kind of like Calvin and Hobbes. They Calvin and Hobbes is the same thing, yeah.
1: Yep, exactly. And and I loved I loved it so much because of the fact that they were always in that room and their their little nursery, but they yep. made such huge adventures out of their surroundings and we got to see it from their imagination from what was inside their heads even though they still had this you know like you said like a cardboard box or they'd be in their crib and they would use these things to kind of be the tools to be a part of their imaginative world so i feel like i want to do that with louisa a little bit um volume two we'll see more of that um
0: there was a little bit of it in in this first volume because as these people walk by her, she creates their stories in her head, Mm -hmm. you know, of who's walking by and, you know, she doesn't know anything about them. So she just imagines, you know, what their life is and who they are.
1: Yep. So I want to, I want to continue that, um, in volume two. And it's, it's going to be pretty fun to see because you get to see how Louisa travels, um, you know cuz we go through you know if you if you come to new york or if you if you travel in, in any metropolitan city um you're going to find that there's going to be overcrowding it's going to be frustrating and annoying you know for adults could you imagine how a kid is is seeing all this sensory overload um, so you're going to see some of that and and then you you're going to see how her imagination uh, helps her to handle it and the fun that she gets to have that way um And part of it will come from the turtle that we see on the cover of volume one that does not make an appearance inside of volume one.
0: Okay. Well, I was going to ask you, though, I mean, if the turtle is significant, um, I I was going to ask you about um, the other graphics that we see that I know sometimes artists just do, and maybe it's just their own thing, but maybe it is meant to mean something else, like the the gecko looking thing on her t-shirt and then you have her barrettes and i remember that you there was talk about you know would you make the real barrettes for sale and stuff like that so was there anything to uh what she's wearing
1: oh that's absolutely very important um so what what you what you see is the gecko image on her shirt is actually the image of a tree frog um in puerto rico the natives of puerto rico are called tainos t-a-i-n-o um that's the type of tribe that were that were living down there before um Spain came and the way that they would draw cuz you know every every indigenous uh culture has its its own arts so the way that they would create their art in um petroglyphs and in their on their leather and stuff like that was they would use um very linear representations of characters um so let, let's say for a a turtle you would do like a spiral and then like a little lump for the head at the top and then from the spiral on on the two uh, kind of like where the where the points of the square would be um you would have like little arms that would come out that would look like little little t's and that would signify the legs um so that's what the uh the turtle would have like, but what's on her shirt is actually the way that they would draw the coqui, which is the native tree frog of Puerto Rico. It's kind of like our, our national animal. Um, so you know how in, if you go like to rural America and it's nighttime and you're out in the, the countryside, you'll hear the crickets. Oh yeah. So in Puerto Rico, you hear the, the coqui and it's a, the reason why we call it coqui is because the sound it makes. It goes coqui, coqui, and it, it's so tiny. It's probably the size of a nickel. And the amazing thing about it is, you know how with, with crickets, you only hear them in the countryside? You don't hear mm-hmm. them in the cities? You hear the coqui everywhere. You can mm-hmm. go to the city, you'll hear it. You go to the campos and the the wooded areas, and you'll hear it. And it's such a relaxing and endearing type of sound that it's very well loved. And with Luisa, because I myself am Puerto Rican, I wanted to bring something to the table, a character to the table that was different, that was going to help to bring awareness to Puerto Rican people um, and bring something positive. Because a lot of times in movies and in other um, pop culture um, situations, you'll see Puerto Ricans depicted as thieves or as poor people, uneducated, and... Uh, you know we're very negatively represented in the mainstream media, so I wanted to bring something positive and something that was fun um, and something that was good. So so the the barrettes are the way that the Taínos would do the sun. It's more it's more uh, simplified, but it's definitely a representation of the sun that the Puerto Ricans would would create. The uh, Some on her chest is the, the coqui, which is a very widely used image in the Puerto Rican culture. Um, and then the turtle that she rides in the cover is a hawksbill turtle that is native to Puerto Rico. It's native to the to the waters in that area of the island of the Caribbean.
0: Oh, I love this. I'm getting educated today. <sighs>
1: <laughs>
0: I love I'm it. I I could
1: do that for you.
0: Well, I, you know, because when I saw it, I remember that you were talking about, um, you know, the making of the book originally, and and you had talked a little bit about, you know, coming up that you finally had had settled on a design for for her T-shirt and, and everything, and and it just reminded me so much of how we put that importance on our superheroes. Mm-hmm. You know, like you know, you know me from from cosplay and everything, and and all of our superheroes usually have like a very distinctive design yep. or chest chest logos or They're very recognizable. You know, yeah, there's always something significant about their look, and uh, and that's kind of why fans flip out if it ever changes. <laughs>
1: exactly. Um, Especially when we've grown up with it for so long, we we want ident- to We want something that we identify with. You know that we're we're always looking for that, whether it be in ourselves or in something else that we we come to enjoy. And part of the reason why I I believe we we do that with comics is because and, and other you know sci-fi characters is because we we come to personalize them. You know they become part of our lives, whether we're having a good day or you know sometimes we even search out these characters when we're going through tough times to either relax or to find you know some kind of uh, relate relatability, like, you know, Superman just went through what I went through, or Spider-Man, you know, that's why I love Peter Parker, he's always going through, going through issues like I am, blah, 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 you know, so it, it's, you know, we need representation, we need something that we can all relate to, and, you know, there's, there's that's another reason why I made a Puerto Rican character, because there's enough characters out there that are not Puerto Rican, you know, there's there's a lot of white characters, there's a lot of, there's more african-american characters there's very few asian characters and you know there's almost none that are latino so that was another another reason why i made her puerto ricans because i felt that responsibility you know i i can create so if i can it's it's like one of those situations where if you can do something you should do something you know what i mean
0: Sure, if there's a void, there's a void that needs to be filled, and there you go. Mm-hmm. I remember there's there's like an internet meme going around that Captain America, because of the design of his suit, <laughs> that he's really Captain Puerto Rico. <laughs>
1: yeah, and we've been saying that for years in the hood. Like we've been like, oh, Captain America, he's not American, he's really Puerto Rican.
0: Yeah. Um, so you know, but talking about these cultural. Like the differences and the importance of it and the representation. Let me ask the very sensitive question here. So, if uh, you know little white girls want to wear the same T-shirt that Luisa has, is that okay? Let's let's do
1: it. Let's do it. Do it. Okay. Absolutely, because this isn't. She's not Puerto Rican for Puerto Ricans. She just happens to be Puerto Rican. You know what I mean? It's not like you know only Puerto Ricans can wear. Like I I hate that idea that oh this character is black so only white people only black people can, can be that character. Or oh, this character's only white so so only white white people can cosplay as that person. Oh this is a um, a female character so only females can cosplay. No, no, this is for everybody. This is all for us. You know and we we've all grown up and been bullied. Like I don't I don't know anybody that's been in comics that has not been bullied. You know what I mean? So for me, for any of us to then say no you can't do this because is like you know you're forgetting what you went through you know you're forgetting all the times that you were looked at and you were talked down to and you were treated poorly don't forget those things because those those are the things that that help us all you know with your experiences and how you overcome it you know and and the sad thing is i think part of the, the reason why people don't uh, you know can't get past that is because they haven't overcome it they still find you know they still have either they have the weaknesses or they still succumb to the bullying, and they, they have they found they haven't found a way to be strong enough to get over that, or to, to find their inner strength and move, not move past the bullying, but to not let it affect them in the same way. You know? Sure, like,
0: learn you know learn from it and be a better person. Yeah, like I was
1: bullied, you know. I, all right, so I'm six foot tall.
0: I was gonna say I can't imagine you being bullied. Oh my God,
1: I was bullied to death. I was. I, all right. So I'm six foot tall. Right. I've always been the taller guy in this the area of where you know whether it was elementary school, or junior high school, or so forth. Um. So, at ten years old, um, I had my teeth. My teeth came out, and I, I had my adult teeth grow in. So the teeth that I have now at six foot that look proper. Imagine that in a ten year old kid. So I was called Roger Rabbit and Bugs Bunny, uh, you know, all kinds of different names. I was called you know, in, in the in Spanish I was called Conejo, which is Rabbit. Um, I was a what was it, a can opener. All kinds of things were thrown my way. Um plus on top of that I wasn't self confident on my own. So, you know, I I, I was awkward, I and as you can tell now, I stumbled over my words, so I was a stutterer. I just had so many things that were just going against me in terms of what's popular and what's cool. Um, you know, didn't play sports when I was younger, so I said, you know what? These are things that I know people are talking about me. I'm going to do something about it. So I started trying to play sports, and I got better at sports. Uh, I love basketball now. Basketball's my favorite thing to do. It. It's my stress route um, outside of, you know, creating art. Um, and then... You know, I, I had people say all these, these things about me, but I knew I was intelligent, and I knew that I was capable of doing X, Y, and Z. I used to love to write poetry, so I know I had a skill in that. So anytime people would say whatever they wanted to say, that's me, to put me down. Okay, like, hey, you feel that way, but I don't. So you can continue to feel however you want to feel, but I know the truth. I know the reality. So I would go on and have confidence and thought that that was what, I was, and that's who I was. So, you know, of course, you know, the, the weight and the amount of people saying negative things to you weighs on you, you know, and you know, the lack of friends or the lack of companionship, the lack of um, trust trustworthy people stuff like that. That it's heavy and it's hard and it's a weight that you carry. But having these those things plus having a family that loved me was huge. You know, I would tell my mother these things and say she would help remind me, Hey, you but you can do this. But you know, you're skilled with that and you're smart. You did this the other day, you did that, you're so capable. Why let those things get to you? And they would help to you know, they would help to keep me grounded and strong and you know that was always what I went back to. Whenever I had those feelings of self doubt or or self or loss of worth I would always try to remember those things the way my mother would help me handle it and say, you know, oh, but I did this, and, but I can do that, you know. Oh, I might feel I'm, my back might be hurting me today, but at least I can still walk. You know, my, I might be sneezing up a storm and my nose is running, but at least, you know, I can still get this work done. Or I don't have enough money today to do what I want to do or what I need to do. But if I keep working, money is going to come. And I'll be able to pay these bills, and I'll be able to do this, that, and the other. You know, so I, I always fall back on that to help overcome whatever negative sensations I'm feeling. And that's what I, that's part of the reasons why I titled the book, A Reason to Smile. Because there's always something out there for you to smile at. There's always something. There's fun that came up this morning, and there's your ability to still function as a human being, and... You know, you might not, you might not have been able to get the, you know, the beautiful girl or the, the handsome man, but somebody's gonna want you. Somebody's gonna like you, and you just have to keep on, because life doesn't, life doesn't end because you don't get what you wanted because life isn't on your way, you know.
0: Yeah, these are these are things that I remember learning in yoga classes too. We did um, one of them the instructor had gone on a, on a retreat to, you know, learn some more techniques and develop herself, you know, instead of her always teaching. And she came back, and one of the things we did was a walking meditation. And it was, the importance of it was, you know, to take your step and feel your step because there are people who can't. Oh, that's um, powerful. And, you know, and it's it, guilt is a strange thing. Like, there's there's times when it's necessary, and there's times when it's just a burden, you know. So you don't want to be like, oh, I can't complain about not paying my heating bill today because there are people who just lost their whole house in a tornado. Exactly. Yep. So it's kind of like, it's like, okay, but I do have a reason to feel like crap right now, you know. It, it's, you know, and it's this sort of tug of war with our own heartstrings that, you know, I think a lot of people – fight with internally, and, and they might not be able to vocalize it or explain what's happening. But I, I do see that a lot, especially because there are so many disasters, and we see things so readily now, like on Twitter. I watched that whole Canada fire like taking place live because people were just tweeting vines of it and stuff. And right. You know, and it's hard to you know hard to be like okay, well I'm having some trouble, but on the other hand, their entire city is on fire. Yeah,
1: yeah, and you know? that's part of yeah. that's part of why I included that one that one scene towards the end of the book, um, with the homeless person. Um, yeah. And I put that in there because I, I also wanted to show that there's there's just going to be really horrible situations that people are dealing, with, you know, and I guess it's it's more of a, of a thing where if you can. So like Louisa Louisa sees this, right, and she really doesn't understand how to to deal with it. I think it's the first time ever seeing something so bad, and she she just tries to do whatever she can just to make something be okay at the moment, um, but. I I think part of it, and and maybe it's something I I can address in the next book, um, is that sense of, you know, you you are going through it, and it's okay to to be upset. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad um, because these are emotions that we have. We have to know that these are going to come. Right,
0: and that's what I thought was really, um, really critical, that you don't, you know, that you never come across saying, Never be sad. Always, right. you know, choose happiness. I hate when people say choose happiness. <laughs> I just want to punch them. I really do when I hear that. Um, it's like no, people have feelings. They're always going to have feelings unless there's actually something wrong with them, and they never, they never have any range of emotion.
1: Yeah, you have to, you have to live, you know, regardless of what you're going through. And there's, you know, if you have that mentality of oh, just smile, it's gonna be okay. It's like, well, right now it's not okay. You know, so what do I do right now? I'll smile later. You know, when I can get, de- when I can process what I'm going through, and I can finally take a breath, I'll smile. But right now I can't smile. So now what? You know? Yeah. You have to, you have to be able to have those full ranges of motion, the full ranges of emotion, just like your body has to have a full range of motion, because if you don't, then now what happens is you become stifled, you become stagnant, and you atrophy. Certain things attribute if you don't you know if your mind is only smiling, then how when, when something comes that's so heavy that you can't lift it and you don't know what to do and you just try to smile your way through it and then it falls in your face, what are you going to do then? you know you have to be able to know okay, I'm going through this problem I have to go through it I think that's part of why like when i when I pitch the book to people at at conventions, I tell them um the problems don't go away, but because they worked together, they find a, an easier way to deal with it. And I think that's that's key, because there's there's problems that we can you know we can address like math. You know you you find the components, you put it together in the equation, and you get your solution. Then you move on. There's other elements that you know like like calculus. I, I couldn't. I did pre-calculus, and I think I did. I tried to do calculus, and those those problems were just beyond. So yes. I, I
0: know I was there, but I don't remember any of it at all.
1: <laughs> yeah. I just know
0: that I was sitting there present. Yep.
1: So, you know, like those problems are just beyond me. So I moved, I moved on. I said, okay, this is for somebody else. Let somebody else handle this. But there's going to be problems that are just going to be there. You know, our, our understanding of language, our understanding of people, or our interactions and um, whether we always get the right response that we want. Or not, You know, there's just problems that we have to deal with and a lot of them won't go away. One of them which is key is, is money. We always have to pay bills. It's a problem. Right. It's not an easy thing to deal with. You have to learn how to deal with it. You have to learn, you have to deal with it every day, how to deal with it. You know, and there's other problems.
0: Well, I- yeah, I wanna I wanna get on that though, if you but you can finish your thought. No, I was just
1: saying, you know, if you can learn how to deal with these things then that's gonna make life easier and you know, it's it's not gonna be as tough.
0: Right. Well coping is a skill. Right. And I think I think there's um a, a lot of myth behind it that it's just something you do as opposed to the fact that it is a skill. Just you know, being nice is also a skill, you know. Like <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> For some people it
1: definitely is.
0: Some people are good at it and some people are not. Exactly. So, um, yeah, coping is a skill. And I think, you know, if you if you, you teach that to kids early, then that's awesome. Because as adults, it's, a, it's very challenging to try to learn. Um, but talking about money and how, yeah, we always have bills to pay and stuff. When you made a, the first volume of A Reason to Smile, am I remembering that this was a Kickstarter? Yes, it
1: was.
0: Okay, so let's talk about kickstarter and if you liked it if you didn't how your goals were did you end up not making enough or what you know what was the situation with kickstarter for you
1: so kickstarter was great because it allowed me to do something that i would not have been able to do otherwise um you know i i I knew of kickstarter when i first started writing the book so i already knew that this was something that i was going to be able to uh, used as a tool, but had I, had I done the book maybe seven years ago, or f- even five years ago, um, or five years from 2002, 2012 was when I started writing the book, so if I had done it maybe 2007 to 2010, I wouldn't have known how I was going to get this book into people's hands. Um, what I would have ended up doing, because I, I was also thinking about this in terms of music, because at one time I, was, I, have, I have three demos that I did in a studio. And I was trying to figure out how I was going to get music into people's hands. Um, And I said, you know what, I'm just going to end up doing, you know, since I have the music available, I'm just going to make CDs of it. I'll take money from my paycheck and I'll just go ahead and uh, I'll go ahead and burn CDs in my house. And hopefully somebody, somebody with some money will like what I've done and they will help me get a record deal. So, so since I already had that experience, I was like, okay, with, with this book, I will make the book. And then I will try to get it printed to find out where I can get it printed at. And, you know, try to make as many copies that can or wherever I can. And hopefully somebody will like it enough that they'll try to publish it. And that was where I, I initially was going to go with it. And thankfully, Kickstarter came out and it was, you know, it's been a godsend. Um, I had a goal of $8,000 with all of the incentives that I wanted to to bring to the book, such as t-shirts and bookmarks and magnets and uh, a hand doll and all kinds of stuff. Um, And from there, I was able to put that campaign together. So with the campaign, I ended up making hundred and thirty seven percent of what I was asking for, so I ended up doing really well with it and um,
0: that's fantastic
1: yeah i I was very very blessed like a lot of people I, I feel like a lot of people were waiting for me to finally come up with something like this. you know people that have seen me at the conventions and seen me at you know doing my thing for years you know, and eleven I've, I've been drawing and, and creating since I was a kid and You know, people, I guess, were saying, hey, we've been waiting for this. And they showed it with their, you know, with their support with the Kickstarter. Um,
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm grateful for you, you know, for Joe Prada coming up and telling you to, uh, you know, make a story. Because I do see a lot of complaints about that, about the fan art, if you will, you know, in in Artist Alley. Um, And a lot of people saying, you know, you need to make something, you need to make something. It's like, okay, well, what does that mean? You know, why is this poster that I made you know why doesn't that count and and i think there's some decoding that needs to be done what they mean is they want stories and they you know um or even like mike norton when he made battle pug battle pug was just a drawing he did you know it was just this you know this barbarian riding this giant pug Hmm. and people kept saying what is that where can i get it and he he was like oh i guess i better make this (laughs) that's
1: cool you know. know about that
0: so that's, you know, so Battle Pug came out of a sketch nice. and, you know, and, and now it's, you know, it's a wonderful book. So, um, yeah, so with a reason to smile, I'm glad that somebody, you know, somebody made that light bulb in you go off.
1: Right. Well, one of the, one of the things that I've been blessed with getting a lot of, um, I guess, attention for at the shows is I would have people that would come to my table and say, hey, what, what comic are you on? You know, because they would expect to see me on a book because of, of the skill level that I have. And I would always feel, you know, I would feel great about that because it's a great compliment. But I would always have to tell them, like, I'm just doing that. And they'd be like, oh, okay. And, you know, I started to feel a certain way about that because I was like, okay, they're not really, they're not really enjoying just the, the, the fan art. They want to see a story. They want to see something more than just this. Because that's where it all comes from. It all comes from the comics. It all comes from the cartoons and the movies and, you know, the things that we all grew up with. So knowing that they wanted to see the stories was was a, another light, you know, in the fire. You know, the, another amber of the fire that was like, okay, you got you to, gotta, you know, step this up because people want it.
0: So, how stressful was doing the Kickstarter?
1: Um, the, doing the Kickstarter was not stressful. It was the um, it was the then um, trying trying to get people to now because I guess doing the Kickstarter the way I, I look at it is like you know trying to put it together and, and figuring out what was going to be in the campaign. I feel like that was the easy part because I, I did a little. I'm already used to online studying, like studying different artists and studying different. Um, directions that people take and stuff. Um, so Kickstarter is is a great is another another great resource about Kickstarter is that the campaigns that are successful and the campaigns that are unsuccessful stay on the site. They never go away. So you can see which campaigns made money, which campaigns didn't make money, um, how much people made per different subject matter that they're bringing to the table as well. Um, so that for me was the easy part because I got to, it was right there. It was, you know, all I had to do was is look for it. Um, the hardest part was making people feel comfortable spending money on something that they didn't know about beforehand. Because, you know, you don't know you don't know whether I've, you know created a book before or not. You don't know how reliable I am. I don't have a reputation, you know, for X, Y, and Z. So now. You have to trust that this is gonna happen. Um, so, kind of showing people that this was this was something that their that their money was gonna be used in a positive way for uh, was the hardest part. So, once I had the Kickstarter and the campaign together, you know, I, I then had to do the, the hard work of talking to people and and uh, building another form of or, or nurturing another form of the relationships that I had with people. No, no no hey this thing, is, this thing is real this is not me just trying to ask for money this is me trying to help create something that I've never created before that you'll be able to hold in your hands um, so that was the hardest part but once once I started getting into the, the, the groove of it and people started throwing their support towards it it made things a lot easier
0: well that's good I'm glad it was a really good experience um, I've seen a lot of people talk about how even though their goal was in line with similar projects, like what you're saying is go back and do, you know, do the research of the projects that are up there, um, You know, like a, a single-issue comic, I'd say on average, people ask for uh, like $5,500, okay. let's say. And yet everybody I know says that's not even enough then to pay for a printed version to be shipped. So it's kind of like, but if you ask for too much, then you risk not making the goal. Exactly. So with, you know, with the fact that you made over uh, 100% of what you wanted, did you have um, enough that you actually covered your costs?
1: No. So okay. the one thing that you, like, people talked about it, and I thought I was going to be able to deal with it easily enough, um, but one thing that, that is the biggest problem with doing a Kickstarter is paying for shipping. Um, so, you know, you can – Reach your goal and everything and, you know, you, you create create all these things that you wanted to create, but now you got to pay for all the shipping and, you know, shipping to different parts of the world is more expensive, um, shipping domestically can be different depending on how far it's going, um, so I ended up having to do, and I don't know if it ended up hurting me or not, but I ended up having to add that to the cost of the, um, so let's say you, you you in the second Kickstarter. Let's say you got a uh, hardcover, which is twenty dollars. I had to add six dollars on there for the shipping because I don't I don't just send I, I don't trust the the postal service. Um, I've I've gotten a lot of things bent up and destroyed sadly. Um, and they tell you in my neighborhood they tell you, um, well you better make sure that it's it's well packaged because if it gets broken up oh well. So. You know, for me to hear that from, you know, a company, it's really sad. So I always have to pay for insurance on every every item I send out, so way if it's bent up, if it's damaged, I can then recoup the losses, and we send out whatever needs to be sent out. Um, so that's that's the biggest headache with dealing with. That's success. yeah.
0: That's the, everybody that I've talked to says that or at least, in you know, seeing the Facebook posts and the Twitter feeds and stuff like that, everybody seems to complain that um, they either have problems with printing because trying to find a printer, you know, like in China, for example, a lot of stuff gets held up and it takes forever. Mm-hmm. Um, or there's just, sh- you know, shipping, like shipping costs. Are, it's it's always going to be way more than you expect.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, you could do your best due diligence by taking, taking your book, Packaging it up and getting, you know, going to the restaurants
1: and yep. trying to. And that's part of that was part of, uh, you know, that's for me the biggest issue. Um, and I mean, what would be great, and I don't, I don't ever see it happening. But what would really be great is if Kickstarter offered a, like, you know, how there's Diamond for Comics.
0: Right. Like if, they, if
1: there was some kind of option like that for Kickstarter Million. That would be that would be ridiculous. That would be so great because then you know. Then they
0: would take care of distribution. Yep. There are companies that will take a big, huge cut of <laughs> your Kickstarter income to do that for you. But there's nothing okay. integrated.
1: Okay. I mean, it's it's something to look into because it 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 can be worth it, depending on how much they're asking for. It might be worth it. Yeah, that, that for me was a, the biggest ordeal.
0: But will so will you do it again for volume two?
1: When you say do it again, what do you mean?
0: Would you will you run a Kickstarter to make volume two? Or already uh, did. Oh, you did. Yeah, yeah, okay. that
1: one was successful in Mar uh, May of last year. So the end of this month will be a year that I that I from the time that I did the Kickstarter. So that's why I'm trying I'm trying to get the coloring done by the time. Uh, this month is over so that way I can it can be a year that it, it's been that from the Kickstarter um, I don't want like people have already been waiting this long I don't want them to have to wait they both, I kind of did the Kickstarter a little bit rushed I got really hyped and excited about the the way that the book was doing like I had sold the first 500 copies of the book by April um, from October so it was like around six a little bit, a little bit more than six months Um, from the Kickstarter date to the, um, not the Kickstarter, from the actual, uh, publication date, publishing date, there you go, From from the actual publishing date to the time that I sold all of the Kickstarter books, um, it was like around six months. So, I was like, okay, first book is doing great, now let's do number two. Mind you, number one had almost already been done by the time I did the Kickstarter. So...
0: Okay, so that's yeah. See, I, I knew that you were had volume two in the works, so that's why I, I didn't even realize that you already did the funding for that. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I, I, uh, I kind of, I kind of got ahead of myself, but that's why I'm working as hard as I am to make sure that volume two is finished, so we can get it and I can enjoy it, and and know that this Kickstarter was worth what they put their money into.
0: Okay, so is this something that you recommend for other uh, cartoonists and comic creators?
1: Uh, I, I recommend it if you. I mean, it's one of those things like, it's a great option, but you have to make sure you put your your, your time into it to find out um, what it is you need to do to make your money. Because if you try to put it out there and you don't do what you need to do, what's going to end up happening is you're going to have, you're going to be frustrated. You know, you're going to end up not meeting your goal or you're going to only, you know, you're going to make a certain amount for your goal and then you're going to, you know, it's going to... Put a damper on things and the frustration sets in, and all that. And we, you know, as a creator, I don't think that you need that. You know, I think that's something that's gonna end up hurting your, your creativity, it's gonna hurt your drive. So, you know, if you can make sure that you have everything together before you go to bat, that's always best. Um, but, but like I said before, Kickstarter is definitely an amazing tool, it's an amazing, um, use of time and, and money and, you know, you become your own boss, you know, and you, you are doing exactly what it is you've wanted to do your whole life and that's great, you know, so if, if you can, if you can put the time in and, and make it work, then it's definitely the right thing for you.
0: Excellent. Thank you for all of the educating you've done today.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: So what uh, websites or, or places can, where can people find
1: you? So I'm on Facebook. Um, you can either you can send me a friend request or you can see my updates on uh, facebookcom slash the Curve, Um I'm also I also frequent um, Instagram a lot. Um, my name is the learning curve at um, yes, yeah, the learning curve on Gmail, i website not on Instagram. And then um my web, my actual website thecurve.com. Um, So they all get kind of the same amount of attention um, with regards to my posting and stuff like that. But Instagram is definitely the best way to see what I'm doing right at the moment. And then contacting me on Facebook is the best way to uh, procure yourself a copy of the book. Um, You you can go through Amazon or you can go through Comitology, but if you go through me, you'll get the actual, um, you'll, you'll get my signature. I'll sign it for you instead of having to just get a, you know, cold copy from from Amazon and comes out.
0: That's great. And uh, what conventions do you know that you're doing?
1: So I am doing, so I'll be at Puerto Rico at the end, the second to the last weekend of May. And then this is the first time that I'm actually going from one show to the next without coming home. So I'll be going to Orlando and staying in Orlando until MegaCon is over. And then after MegaCon is the White Plains Comic-Con, and then Denver Comic-Con in June. Both of those are in June. And then the Garden State Comic-Con in July.
0: Fantastic. Well, I'll definitely see you there. Yeah.
1: That's a good show. If if you've never been to the Garden State Comic-Con, that's definitely a place you need to go.
0: It is. That's what I tell people. You know, when they when I talk about, it, I'm like, man, New Jersey went from zero cons to like 12. Oh, yeah. But the one on that the one that I recommend is Garden State, and they've like basically doubled in size.
1: They're great. So they love yeah. comics, and they they put yeah, that love they put that energy out there, and you know, they've got a lot of great creators from the comic book industry, a lot of um, mainstream professionals, and um, guys that have been doing it for a while that that uh, everybody loves, like Mike McKeon and uh Starenko I think is going to be there this year as well so you get some old school you know some of the original creators are going to be there so they they make sure that the fans are serviced for sure
0: yeah absolutely so and if all goes well I'm doing a panel there this
1: year oh, That would be great what what will it be about
0: Yeah so it's going to be uh chronic illnesses and working in the art Oh wow so like the challenges that uh, that people face with trying to get through their day while still trying to be creative people. That's gotta so got to be true. So I've got, yeah, people with different uh, disabilities and challenges and stuff that are going to be up on the panel with me. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's in July. Um, yep. All right. Well, Javier, thank you so so much for, for being here. Absolutely.
1: I'm so glad that we were able to have this time to, to talk. Uh, I'm um, glad you got to enjoy the book, too.
0: I did enjoy the book. In fact, before we go, I'm going to share one of the awesome little Louisa-isms, if you will. Uh, she says, surprises happen all the time. They find you when you least expect them, and they can be a huge bummer or a wonderful experience. Oh, yeah. So she's so right, and she's, you know, the, the voice of a 10-year-old. Uh, But, yeah, truly very zen-like. I I absolutely recommend it.
1: Thank you so much, Amber.
0: You guys can follow me. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Amber Unmasked. Um, But you can follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber, and everything else is at amberunmasked.com. And you can go to patreon.com slash amberunmasked to sponsor the show. Thanks for listening, everybody. Cheers.